Day 7 of Totus Tuus is Novena to Our Lady of Lourdes, with quotes from Blessed John Paul II's Apostolic Letter, Salvifici Dolores, on the salvific meaning of suffering. The witnesses of the cross and resurrection of Christ have transmitted to the Church and to humanity a specific gospel of suffering. The Redeemer himself wrote this gospel, above all, with his own suffering assumed through love, so that man should not perish but have eternal life. This suffering, together with the living word of his teaching, became an abundant source for all those who took part in the sufferings of Jesus, in the first generation of his disciples and confessors, and then in those who succeeded them in the course of the centuries. First of all, it is consoling, as it is evangelically and historically accurate, to note that at the side of Christ, in the very first and well-recognized position next to him, is always his most holy mother, who gives an exemplary testimony by her whole life to this particular gospel of suffering. In her, the numerous and intense sufferings were accumulated with such cohesion and in such an interconnected way that they were not only as if proof of her unwavering faith, but also a contribution to the redemption of all. In reality, from the time of her secret conversation with the angel, she foresaw in her mission as mother her destiny to share in a unique and unrepeatable way in the very mission of her son. And very soon she had confirmation of this in the events which accompanied the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, in the solemn words of the old man Simeon, who spoke of a sharp sword that would pierce her heart, in the anxieties and privations of the precipitous flight into Egypt because of Herod's cruel decision. and after the vicissitudes of her son's hidden and public life, which she undoubtedly shared in with an acute sensibility. It was on Calvary that the suffering of Mary, beside that of Jesus, reached a summit difficult to imagine in its height from a human viewpoint, but certainly mysterious and supernaturally fruitful for the purpose of universal salvation. Her ascent to Calvary, her presence at the foot of the cross, together with the beloved disciple, were a completely special participation in the redeeming death of her son, as indeed the words she was able to collect from his lips were like a solemn delivery of this gospel to be announced to the entire community of believers. Witness to the passion of her son by her presence and participator in it by her compassion. Mary Most Holy offered a singular contribution to the gospel of suffering, realizing in advance the Pauline expression quoted at the beginning. She truly has a most special title, being able to affirm that she completes in her flesh as she has already done in her heart. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ?
in the light of the unmatchable example of Christ, reflected with singular evidence in the life of his mother. The gospel of suffering, through the experience and words of the apostles, becomes an inexhaustible source for the ever-new generations that succeed one another in the history of the Church. The gospel of suffering signifies not only the presence of suffering in the gospel as one of the themes of the good news, but also the revelation of the salvific power and salvific significance of suffering in the messianic mission of Christ, and subsequently in the mission and vocation of the Church. Christ did not hide from his listeners the necessity of suffering. Very clearly he said, If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross every day. And to his disciples he placed the exigency of a moral nature, the realization of which is only possible on the condition of denying oneself. The road which leads to the kingdom of heaven is hard and narrow, and Christ contrasts it to the wide and spacious road that leads to perdition. On many occasions Christ also said that his disciples and confessors would meet with numerous persecutions, which, as we know, happened not only in the first centuries of the Church's life under the Roman Empire, but which has come true in various periods of history and in different parts of the world, as it is also coming true in our own time. Here are some of Christ's phrases on this subject. They will put their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, dragging you before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an occasion to bear testimony, so settle it in your minds not to prepare beforehand your defence, for I will give you a language and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But not a hair on your head will perish. By your perseverance you will save your souls. The Gospel of Suffering speaks firstly in various places of suffering for Christ, for the sake of Christ, and it does so with the words of Jesus himself or those of his apostles. The Master does not hide the prospect of such suffering from his disciples and followers, but rather he reveals it with total frankness, indicating at the same time the supernatural force which will accompany them in the midst of persecutions and tribulations for his name's sake. These will at the same time be like a special proof of likeness to Christ and of union with him. If the world hates you, know that before you it first hated me. Because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you from the world. For this the world hates you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. But all this they will do to you because of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. I have said these things to you so that you may have peace in me. 
You have tribulations in the world, but have confidence. I have overcome the world. The first chapter of the Gospel of Suffering, which speaks of persecutions, that is, of tribulations undergone on account of Christ, contains in itself a special call to courage and fortitude, sustained by the eloquence of the Resurrection. Christ has overcome the world definitively by his resurrection. However, thanks to its relationship with his passion and death, he has at the same time overcome this world by his suffering. Yes, suffering has, in a singular way, been inserted into this victory over the world, which is manifested in the resurrection. Christ retains in his risen body the marks of the wounds of the cross in his hands, his feet, and his side. Through the resurrection, he manifests the victorious power of suffering, and he wishes to instill the conviction of this power into the hearts of those whom he chose as apostles and of those whom he continually chooses and sends forth. The Apostle Paul will say, All who desire to live piously in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If the first chapter of the Gospel of Suffering is written down through the generations by those who suffer persecutions for Christ, at the same time as this, another great chapter of this Gospel unfolds through the course of history. It is written by those who suffer with Christ, uniting their own sufferings to his salvific suffering. In them is accomplished what the first witnesses of the Passion and Resurrection said and wrote about participation in the sufferings of Christ. Therefore in them there is realized the gospel of suffering, and at the same time, in a certain way, each one of them continues to write it. Each writes it and proclaims it to the world, announces it to their own milieu of life and to their contemporaries. Down through the centuries and generations, it has been ascertained that in suffering there is hidden a particular power that draws a man interiorly close to Christ, a particular grace. To this grace many saints owe their profound conversion, like, for example, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Ignatius of Loyola, etc., the fruit of such a conversion is not only the fact that man discovers the salvific meaning of suffering, but above all, that in suffering he becomes a completely new man. He finds in it, like a new measure of his whole life and of his own vocation. This discovery is a particular confirmation of the spiritual greatness which in man surpasses the body in a way that is completely incomparable. When this body is gravely ill, totally incapacitated, and man is as if incapable of living and acting, all the more do interior maturity and spiritual greatness become evident, constituting a moving lesson to those who are healthy and normal. This interior maturity and spiritual greatness in suffering 
are certainly the fruits of a particular conversion and cooperation with the grace of the crucified Redeemer. It is He Himself who acts at the heart of human sufferings. Through His Spirit of Truth, through the Spirit Consolator. It is He who transforms, in a certain sense, the very substance of the spiritual life, giving to suffering man a place close to Himself. It is He, as interior master and guide, who teaches to His suffering brothers and sisters this admirable exchange, situated at the very heart of the mystery of the redemption. Suffering in itself is a trial of evil. But Christ has made it the most solid base of definitive good, namely, of the good of eternal salvation. By his suffering on the cross, Christ reached the very roots of evil, those of sin and death. He overcame the author of evil, which is Satan, and his permanent rebellion against the Creator. To his suffering brother or sister, Christ opens and gradually unfolds the horizons of the kingdom of God, of a world converted to the Creator, of a world liberated from sin, which is being built on the salvific power of love. And slowly but surely, Christ introduces suffering man into this world, into this kingdom of the Father, in a certain sense, via the very heart of his suffering. Indeed, suffering cannot be transformed and changed by a grace from outside, but from within. And Christ, by way of his own salvific suffering, is found at the very heart of every human suffering and can act from within through the power of His Spirit of Truth, of His Spirit Consolator. This is not all. The Divine Redeemer wishes to penetrate the soul of every sufferer by way of the heart of His Most Holy Mother, the first fruits and summit of all the redeemed. As if by continuation of this motherhood, by which he had been given life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Christ, dying, conferred upon the ever-Virgin Mary a new motherhood, spiritual and universal, towards all men, so that each one, on the pilgrimage of faith, might remain together with her, closely united to him, all the way to the very cross. And by the force of this cross, every suffering, regenerated, might become, from the weakness of man, the power of God. But such an interior process does not always develop in the same way. It often begins and is established with difficulty. Even the very point of departure differs. Diverse are the dispositions that man bears in his suffering. It may, however, be said that almost always each one enters into suffering with a typically human protest and with a question of his why. Each one asks himself the meaning of his suffering 
and seeks an answer to this question at the human level. Certainly, he often puts this question to God, as he also puts it to Christ. Furthermore, he cannot help but notice that the one to whom he puts this question is suffering himself, and that he wants to answer him from the cross, from the centre of his own suffering. However, sometimes it takes time, even a long time, for this answer to begin to be perceived interiorly. Indeed, Christ does not answer directly, nor does he answer in the abstract to this human questioning about the meaning of suffering. Man hears Christ's salvific answer in the measure to which he himself becomes a participant in the sufferings of Christ. The answer which comes from such a participation along the way of the interior encounter with the Master is in itself something more than the mere abstract answer to the questioning about the meaning of suffering. It is, in fact, above all, a call. It is a vocation. Christ does not explain in the abstract the reasons for suffering, but before all else he says, Follow me, come, take part with your suffering in this work of the salvation of the world, which is accomplished by way of my own suffering, by way of my cross. To the measure that man takes up his cross, spiritually uniting himself to the cross of Christ, is revealed before him the salvific meaning of suffering. Man does not discover this meaning at his own human level, but at the level of the suffering of Christ. But at the same time, from this level of Christ, the salvific meaning of suffering descends to the level of man and becomes, in some way, his personal response. And then man finds in his suffering interior peace and even spiritual joy. The Apostle speaks of such joy in his letter to the Colossians, I rejoice in the sufferings which I endure for you. A source of joy comes from surmounting the sense of the uselessness of suffering, a sensation which sometimes is very strongly rooted in human suffering. It not only consumes man interiorly, but seems to make him a burden to others. Man feels condemned to receive help and assistance from others, and at the same time seems useless to himself. The discovery of the salvific meaning of suffering in union with Christ transforms this depressing sensation. Faith in the participation of the sufferings of Christ brings with it the interior certainty that suffering man completes what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, that in the spiritual dimension of the work of the redemption, he, like Christ, is serving the salvation of his brothers and sisters. So, he is not only useful to others, but moreover, he is accomplishing an irreplaceable service. In the body of Christ, which is ceaselessly born of the cross of the Redeemer, 
suffering itself, permeated by the spirit of Christ's sacrifice, is the irreplaceable mediator and author of good things, indispensable for the salvation of the world. It is this which more than anything else clears a path for the grace which transforms the human soul. It, more than anything else, renders present in the history of humanity the forces of the redemption. In that cosmic struggle between the spiritual forces of good and of evil, spoken of in the letter to the Ephesians, human sufferings, united with the redemptive suffering of Christ, constitute a particular support for the forces of good, opening the way to the victory of these salvific powers. And so the Church sees in all Christ's suffering brothers and sisters like a multiple subject of his supernatural force. How often is it that to they themselves the pastors of the Church have recourse, and from them that they seek help and support? The gospel of suffering is being written unceasingly, and unceasingly it speaks with the words of this strange paradox. The springs of divine force gush forth precisely in the midst of human weakness. Those who participate in the sufferings of Christ retain in their own sufferings a most special particle of the infinite treasure of the world's redemption and they can share this treasure with others. The more a man is threatened by sin, the heavier the structures of sin which the world of today brings with it, the greater is the eloquence which human suffering possesses in itself. And the more the Church feels the need to have recourse to the value of human sufferings for the salvation of the world, Let us pray. Hail Mary, poor and humble woman, blessed by the Most High, Virgin of Hope, prophecy of the new times, we join in your song of praise to celebrate the mercies of the Lord, to proclaim the coming of the Kingdom and the full liberation of humanity. Hail Mary, humble servant of the Lord, glorious Mother of Christ, faithful Virgin, holy dwelling of the Word, teach us to persevere in listening to the Word, to be docile to the voice of the Spirit, attentive to His appeals in the intimacy of our conscience and to his manifestations in the events of history. Hail Mary, woman of sorrow, mother of the living, virgin spouse beneath the cross, the new Eve, be our guide along the paths of the world. Teach us to live and spread the love of Christ to stand with you beneath the innumerable crosses on which your Son is still crucified. 
Hail Mary, woman of faith, first of the disciples, Virgin Mother of the Church, help us always to give an account for the hope which is in us, trusting in the goodness of man and the love of the Father. Teach us to build the world from within, in the depths of silence and prayer, in the joy of fraternal love, in the irreplaceable fruitfulness of the cross. Holy Mary, Mother of Believers, Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.